0: I'm very excited today to be joined by James Carberry. James is the founder at Sweetfish Media. He's co-host of the top 100 podcast, B2B Growth. It's been downloaded more than 3.5 million times. Um, He's a contributor for Business Insider, Entrepreneur.com, and Huffington Post. Um, He's also author of the best-selling book, Content-Based Networking. James, a true pleasure to have you on. How are you doing, sir? I
1: am fantastic, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
0: Awesome, man. So there's plenty we want to learn from you today, James. We'd love to learn your top business growth strategies, your top digital marketing tips. But before we get into that juicy info, we want to know um, a little bit more about yourself, really, James. So it'd be great to know kind of where you grew up, some of the key places you've worked at, and the lessons that you learned along the way up until you founded your own business. If you guide us through the journey, sir.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so I grew up in a really small town in uh right outside of Oklahoma City uh, here in the states and I, you know, had no clue. I went to went to college, got my business degree, finished, worked at a couple corporate jobs there in Oklahoma City and really had no clue what the word entrepreneurship even was, uh, I, I, you know, I, which is probably a little bit of an indictment on my university, uh, <laughs> considering that I got a business degree. But I, I finished up, uh, started doing the corporate thing, realized it was not my bag. Uh, I was not enjoying it at all. I ended up in the accounting okay. department of a of an oil and gas company and really just kind of banging my head up against the wall wondering like man is is this what work is do i like do i is it just something that i begrudgingly go to every day because i've got to pay the bills and uh, a few years before that about a year and a half actually before before i started working for that oil and gas company my roommate's brother-in-law won a sweepstakes through a big right. phone company states a former phone company called altel And it was one of those sweepstakes you see on TV, and you're like, nobody ever actually wins those. uh, But we we won it, and it was an all expense trip paid. uh, It was an all expense trip uh, to New York City on a private jet. Uh, We got to watch a football game in a in the big box suite next to like the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. It was a ridiculous experience. Yes. We uh, we got to take a uh, we had a police escort take us around this tour bus all over New York City. Got to go to Carnegie Deli, toured Times Square, did all the stuff that you could possibly do. Yeah, Um, and uh, and at the end of the day, you know, I've I've gone through this entire experience, and I I found myself connecting with this guy named Jeff, and I just thought Jeff was this low level employee at. Altel, you know, he was the he was the person in charge of making sure we got from point A to point B all throughout the day. And I didn't really think anything of it. Well, as it turns out, Jeff is the CEO of this global logistics company that Altel had hired to run the trip. And Jeff really likes New York, and so Jeff wanted to go to New York to run this trip himself. And we hit it off, we swapped business cards. I didn't have a business card at the time. I was like a senior in college and so I did uh, I, but I stayed in contact with him. We okay. just went back and forth a few emails. I think we' maybe texted a few times didn't really again didn't really think much of it. Well I'm sitting in that oil and gas company and in the accounting department, banging my head up against the wall, a year and a half after meeting Jeff and I get a phone call from Jeff and he says, "Hey, uh, we've got a position opening up in our business." would you want to come to Orlando, Florida, which is, you know, across the country uh, to run the helicopter division of our business for our NASCAR client base. NASCAR, if if you're not familiar, is like, is, you know, race cars. It's the U S version of, uh you know it's our it's our race car system or whatever. So so uh so crazy opportunity. And I'm thinking to myself, like, is this really a thing? Like helicopter logistics for NASCAR? So (laughs) essentially, uh, you know, they these race car drivers, they want to get out of the track and back to their private jet pretty quick. And they don't want to have to deal with all the traffic around the racetrack post-race. So Uh, So Jeff's company basically charters helicopters on behalf of all of their clients that are drivers for NASCAR and uh, they needed somebody to organize all those logistics. So I of course said yes, uh, prayed about it for a little bit, then said yes, packed up my life, moved across the country and ended up working for Jeff for about three years. And that was really where I learned what entrepreneurship looked like. I mean, Jeff showed me what it what it took to run a business. I got to see a lot of highs and a lot of lows and-, and Literally by uh, the sounds of it. The, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a wild ride uh, and uh, no, no pun intended, but I got to ride <laughs> in a lot of helicopters over those three years and, uh, and it was an incredible experience. I got to really see what it looked like to run a PNL, and um, to make business decisions, uh, to see some things succeed and some things fail. Um, and what that taught me, Sam, was that a, a single relationship can change the trajectory of your entire life. Had sure. we not had the opportunity to win that sweepstakes and meet Jeff, you know, who knows what I would be doing? You know, would I still be in an oil and gas company in Oklahoma hating my life? I don't, I don't know. Uh, and so that because of that singular relationship with Jeff, um, he moved me across the country. Uh, I was able to meet my wife while, you know, after moving to Orlando. So who knows if I ever would have crossed paths with Lisa, had it not been for Jeff's, you know, asking me to move to Orlando. You know, I've now, I'm now an entrepreneur. I own my own business. Um, I'm officially Amazing. unemployable for the rest <laughs> of my life, I think. And so, uh, so I, you know, and, and that would have never happened. It's hard for me to believe that 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 would have ever happened without at jeff's intersection in my life, so um, so that being said, uh the understanding that a single relationship is really powerful when we started our business, you know it was a blog writing firm, and for the first year, all we did was write blog posts for a bunch of different businesses we didn't really have a a strong niche or strong focus. I just knew I wanted to be in business for myself, and I was really passionate about content marketing, so we we did it and and about nine months in my buddy and I had had a podcast that we were doing kind of passively on the side, not a, not a big deal, but I realized that anybody that I asked to be a guest on the show said yes. Very similar to what you and I were talking about earlier. (laughs) When you have a podcast and you ask somebody to be a guest, it's just, it's a very flattering thing. Most people say yes to being a guest to a podcast. And so I thought to myself, man, if, if we could do this for, if we could do this for a company in the context of business development, and and we could say, hey, ideal customer, I want you to be a guest on our podcast, and we want to share your story, and we want to share really great content from you, things you've learned along the way. Um, That could be a fantastic way to do content marketing really well, but it could also be a really strategic way to build one-to-one relationships with the exact buyer persona of the person that can buy your product your service. And so we started doing that and we started a show called B2B Growth. It's now been downloaded over three and a half million times. It's, it's gone on to, to you know be the, really the foundation of our entire business's growth strategy because we know that VPs of marketing at B2B technology companies are our ideal buyers. So we go and ask those people to be a guest on the show we create really great content with them based on their experiments that they're running at their companies, things they're learning, ways they're growing. And then we build one-to-one relationships with them. So a lot of them end up using us whenever they want to produce their own podcast. And so, amazing. Okay. Uh, so that's, yeah, that, that's, that's been the kind of the underpinning of our strategy and, and uh, takes us to where we are today.
0: Fantastic, James. Well, that's quite a story. And it's it's like you say, it's amazing that a relationship that you forged back in New York, uh, one, one and a half years prior, then came into that cool. It's amazing how these kind of things work out. And sometimes opportunities come in the the places you least expect them. Just like you say. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's,
1: it's not an overnight thing. It it takes time. And, and I, and I hope that, uh, I, I I wish that more people, I mean, I struggle with patience. Uh, you, my, my wife could attest to that, but man, with, with relationships, it's a patience game. And if you can if you can play the long game and you're investing in strategic relationships, you're gonna ultimately win.
0: Brilliant. Okay. So from from helicopters to, to podcasting, um, so you said your company originally was, was did you say it was blog creation? Is that what you said? Yeah, James?
1: blog creation. So I had I had been working for a, a a startup in a tech company for about nine months. Right. And I really started studying content marketing. Uh, While I was at that business and then I had a tiny tech startup that I founded shortly before that, that failed within about six months. But through both of those ventures, I had started learning about content marketing and, you know, just this concept of creating content so that your buyers come to you as opposed to you having to interrupt their life. And try to sell them on working with you um, it's just a whole lot easier when when they come to you and uh, And so I became really passionate about this content marketing strategy, and was like, man, I know a lot of small businesses Go can't ahead. do this on their own because um, they just don't have the time they don't have the bandwidth and so we we went to market as a blog writing agency quickly realized that you know a lot there's a lot of blog writing agencies out there it 's very competitive. We, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, so we weren't pricing our service right. I mean, we could barely make ends meet month to month. And so when I had this epiphany about you know needing to start a podcast, I thought, well, what if we pivoted into becoming a podcast agency instead of a blog writing agency? And what if we became a podcast agency, not for anyone, but specifically for mid-market B2B technology companies. And that's, most, most companies are scared to niche once. We niched twice. And so <laughs> because of that, because of kind of that double niching down, it's really allowed us to cement uh, authority in a very specific space. So, um, you know, we, we don't do all digital marketing services uh, and, and I'm proud of that. I think a big part of our success is because we're not known for doing websites and you know every Facebook ads and email marketing. We do podcasts and we do them really really well. We're best in class when it comes to producing a podcast for for a company's brand, and so we've been able to establish a lot of authority and really stand out in the noise um, where a lot of other marketing agencies are struggling to to stay top of mind because they don't really have a niche focus and then. Focusing on specifically B2B SaaS companies helps us a ton too, because we can speak the language of our buyer because we work with a lot of people that look like them.
0: Okay. All right, James. Well, yeah, a lot of, a lot of our guests have kind of honed in on this kind of stuff that you really should pick at your niche. I understand your yeah. ideal audience. So that, that does make perfect sense, man. Um, in terms of what was the turning point when you realized that you could get your ideal audience as interviewees for your podcast, and then over time, nurture relationships with them, and get them into your customers. I mean, were you running? A, I think you mentioned you're running a podcast before. Did it just yeah. kind of click that you could do that, or was there a turning point where you realized that you could monetize this? Let's say.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Sam. So, uh, so I remember being on a plane coming back from my wife's hometown in San Diego, California, and on the plane is when I realized, like, oh my gosh, why are we not starting? A, why are we? Why do we not have a niche podcast that we can ask our ideal clients to be a guest on? Because all of these people in in with my buddy show, you know, they they all say yes whenever we ask them to be a guest on that show. Why would that be any different? in a business context. Um, and, and so I actually didn't start it with B2B growth. I started it with a podcast called, uh, plant better because at the time, you know, being a blog writing agency, we had a, a church client that was doing really well with the, with the work that we were producing. And I thought, man, we could write content for a lot of other churches. And so we started this podcast called plant better specifically for kind of upstart startup churches. Okay. And we asked 80 different uh, no, we asked a hundred different church planners, which are very busy people. I mean, their church plants are new; they're they're wearing a ton of different hats. And we asked a hundred different church planners to be a guest on this brand new podcast. It didn't even exist yet, and eighty of them responded to our email. And I, wow. I mean, you, you've been doing digital marketing enough—that's so, what you call a response rate. Right? Yeah, to get eighty percent reply rate on your cold email campaign is pretty insane. And so. Uh it turns out church plants don't have a lot of money. So uh so they don't have uh they don't have a lot of cash to pay for content marketing services. So that ended up not working out the way we originally thought. But it. it was after doing Plant Better for about, uh-huh. I think we did probably 45 episodes, that we said, man, uh we should pivot into becoming a podcast agency and do this strategy for other B2B companies. So that's when we became a podcast agency and and pivoted into that.
0: Excellent. So you learned from kind of you you could do this model whereby 80% of people you'd ask would say yes to come on the show. You realised that from the the church side of things that there wasn't necessarily that much money in it. So you moved the angle to an ideal audience, in this case, um, mid-market businesses. Superb. Okay, man, that makes sense. So in terms of being able to to scale your business from, from when you first started to where it is now, was that entirely via guests that you had on the show, or is there any other forms of marketing that you've had success with, James, be it content marketing, be it outbound, be it inbound, you could share with us?
1: Yeah, so we've we've tried a lot of different things. Our primary, uh, the, the primary kind of way that we acquire customers is um, is through inbound. So people that either listen to our show or that okay. have been guests on our show that come back to us, another big channel for us. And I, and we might be getting into this a little bit later. I might be jumping the gun here, but it's <laughs> LinkedIn. We've, we've, I figured out a few years ago that there was just a massive opportunity with organic reach on LinkedIn. And so I started writing content that was getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of views and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is, I'm not paying a dime for this kind of reach. And so I think I went from 6,000 followers on the platform to 18 or 19,000 followers on the platform within a pretty short amount of time. And I just thought, man, I need to be doing more of this. Uh, unfortunately, I went through a really tough time um, in 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 the business and personally, and there was just a lot going on in my life. So I took about a year and a half to two year hiatus from LinkedIn and have just now started to re-engage and we're about to go all in on, on LinkedIn again. Now that we have, you know, a bigger team, there's about 20 of us and there's going to be five of us that are going to in the next six months, hopefully posting three times a day on LinkedIn because I just think there's such massive opportunity there to get in front of the people that we want to sell to.
0: You said it all in LinkedIn. I mean the organic reach on that platform, my audience know that I I don't stop harping on about it. But I'm going to say a quick say, because like you say, the organic reach, because it's free, it's a free platform, it's never been easier to reach your ideal audience, get organic views, get more people to your profile, to your landing page, your hook, and generate inbound yeah. inquiries. It's just a, yeah. a matter of being consistent every day. Yeah, it it's, be it's a matter
1: of being consistent. And then there there's also some nuances to the platform that I've found a lot of people don't realize that, you know, folks sure. like you and I that are creating their... We've, we've come to figure out, but folks that haven't, they don't necessarily realize that you can't put links in your status update. You have to put the link in the comment section. And I know that that's frustrating for some people because they're like, oh, it, it's easier. But the reality is uh, LinkedIn doesn't want you posting content that's going to drive people off of their platform. So you either make it easy for the six people that see your post by putting the link in your status update, or you get 10,000 more views on your content by putting the link to whatever it is you're trying to link to, which I don't even link to things, most of my updates, but you put the link, if you have a link in your, in your first comment. And then and then you've got to be good at copywriting. I mean, there's no way around it. If if you suck at copywriting and you don't know how to write a compelling f- hook for your first sentence in your status update, you're going to fail. I mean, that nobody's going to stop on your post, and you're not going to get much reach at all. So there are a couple of nuances like that um, that I think you know using engagement groups. So you know, message group, uh, messaging groups on LinkedIn, where you have 10 or 15 people that, you know, like, and trust already that you're liking their content already. They're posting consistently and being able to distribute your content through those, through those engagement groups and engaging with the other people in the group so that you can get those first 10 or 15 likes comments on your content to give it that kind of boost to tell LinkedIn, like, Hey, this content's getting engagement. We want more people to see this and so then it starts to stretch out and show to more people in news feeds because it got that initial kind of jump start. So a little nuances like that. Like I, I wrote an article in yeah, a- Entrepreneur about this. And so okay. if you just search James Carberry entrepreneur you'll see like the seven things that I talk about to get thousands of views on your LinkedIn content. But it really is a platform that a lot of businesses are sleeping on. And we're even seeing like you know a lot of mid market and enterprise companies that have no clue what they're doing on LinkedIn. They still, they 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 continue to put content out through their company page and get next to no reach. And they're massive companies. Meanwhile, my little 20 person company is getting, you know, across our team, we're getting close to a hundred thousand organic free views um, a week because we've got multiple people on our team posting content on a consistent basis.
0: Exactly. And completely agree. I don't know what you've seen, James. I love the points you've raised definitely about keeping links in the comments rather than in the post. Um, And then using the first, I think it's three lines that are above the fold. So until you click read more on mobile or click the post on on your desktop, then you read the rest. I found success myself from trying to craft some of my best posts into more stories. So trying to work experiences that I've had, be it business related, be it personal, be it even doing sport or doing something with friends, yeah. work that into a kind of story format. So yeah. it kind of weaves from top to bottom. And I found some of those have had the best results. I don't know what you think.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't tend to do as well with those. I think it's probably just cause I'm not naturally as good of a storyteller as a lot of people are. Um, I've I've had a lot of really good success with roundup posts so so you see a lot of you know roundup blog articles where they share you know 27 books for xyz audience or listen to these seven podcasts I've been doing that with my LinkedIn status updates and and you and I keep talking about status updates for and I've noticed that a lot of people aren't familiar with what that is with LinkedIn you can write articles You can do these slide decks, which we've been experimenting with. They're called documents. uh, And those have seen really good results. Um, And then you can do status updates. So you don't want to do an article. An article has no word count restriction. You can make them as long as you want. But the unfortunate part is they don't get a lot of traction on LinkedIn. The algorithm, for whatever reason, doesn't like articles. But status updates... They're, limited, they're going to limit you to about 250 to 300 words. It's, I think, 1,200 characters. And those status updates are really where the magic comes from on LinkedIn. And, and that's going to be where the bulk of the your whenever you're scrolling your newsfeed on LinkedIn, you're seeing those status updates. So for those that aren't as familiar with it, that's what we're referring to. Uh, remind, remind me where where we were at Sam before I went ah uh, so you that. were
0: you were saying the posts were we, I was saying I had some success with a post that stories. tells stories. and you were yeah. saying you had a different angle I think it was roundup post you were saying Jake? yeah
1: so roundup posts so I've I've done posts like you know uh 14 uh 14 agencies every b2b marketer should be looking to hire and so uh, you know I, I put ourselves in there I put an s CEO agency in there. I put a, you know, demand gen agency in there. I put a pipeline strategy agency in there, an account-based marketing agency in there. And, uh, and then I've done one on, you know, the best, the best books for B2B marketers. So honing in on who your audience is for us, it's B2B marketing leaders and figuring out, you know, curating the best content for that audience and then round putting it in roundup posts. But really, I mean, if I'm being honest, Sam, like you have to do a lot of different things. Like I found that if you don't switch it up and you don't do and and you're not experimenting with different things we're doing, we're about to start doing a lot of gifts and memes on LinkedIn, which you're not seeing nice. a lot of, but yep. the few that you're seeing are getting crazy reach because it's fun content. And just because it's a business platform doesn't mean that people don't want to smile. And so doing gifts and memes, doing funny videos, we just produced a, a funny video for announcing a new series on B2B growth and we're going to be releasing that I think today or tomorrow. So um, we're constantly experimenting and trying new things. If, if you try, if you do the same thing over and over and over again, eventually it's just going to get tired, yeah. and people are going to stop engaging with it as much. So I know that's that's not the easy answer. You want to like figure out what's what's this magic pill that gets me a ton of reach on LinkedIn? But the reality is, it takes a lot of creativity. It takes a lot of understanding how the platform works and how the algorithm works. So uh, it- can, when you can combine those two things, uh, you're going to build an
0: audience of people that trust you and ultimately want to do business with you. Love it. Love it. And I couldn't agree more. Okay. Good stuff, James. Um, so we've covered LinkedIn. Are there any other marketing channels that you invest in or that you recommend? For, for business owners so sales.
1: we've we've just recently started working with a company called the Veth Group V E T H and uh, Miles and his team have been fantastic. They've started doing outbound a lot more outbound for us. So we're still doing content based networking and asking you know our ideal buyers to be a guest on our show. But what Veth Group does for us is is a is a more scaled version of outbound. So I there's a lot of data. I think Connect and Sell talks about some data that says that the average you know service provider or product you know only 8% of your target addressable market or your total addressable market i'm sorry is in market for your solution at any given time and that 8% typically changes every quarter so if we know that 8% of our market is is ready to get into podcasting which is our service then we've got to send we've got to we've got to send a lot of messages <laughs> to our to our TAM to make sure that that they know that we're we're available and we can work with them. And so when you change your mindset to thinking we've, we wanna, we want to we want to reach out to as many companies as we possibly can to let them know, hey, we're here and we do this. If this is something you're looking at, it changes your approach to the messaging because you don't think that you necessarily have to. Con- you're not trying to convince every single person to work with you. You know that hey, only 8% of the, the people that I'm, you know, that I'm emailing, there's a likely only only 8% of these people are even in market. And that doesn't mean that they're going to work with you. That just means they're in market for the thing that you do. And so we've gotten, we've just, Miles and his team have done an incredible job of getting really creative with our outbound. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're sending really short one sentence emails that say stuff like, hey, so-and-so, uh, you know, is podcasting in your, in your Q2 budget, that's it. Like we're not droning on and on about how nice. we're a great agency and it's, it's a one sentence email. We're doing, we, we're testing out another campaign where we're offering to buy them lunch. Uh, and, and so like we find a local restaurant in their city And we'll email a bunch of people in a particular city and say, hey, you know, Fogo de Chow has the best steak, you know, the best steak in San Francisco. We'd love to send you one uh, for lunch in exchange for 12 minutes of your time to talk about podcasting. And so just doing creative things with Outbound, uh, in addition to what we're doing on LinkedIn, in addition to what we're doing with content-based networking through our podcast, in addition to the inbound that we're generating through the podcast listenership, uh, and it's really starting to work. I mean, we're, we're starting to, we're, we're closing multiple deals every month. And, and it's, uh, it's a really exciting time to be
0: in, to be in our business. Awesome, James. Well, we've covered your story. We covered some of your top marketing strategies. Um, normally at this stage of the show, I'd ask, what are your top tips for anyone thinking of starting a business? But I don't want to do that. I want to know <laughs> your top tips for someone who's thinking of starting a podcast, yes. which people probably are after listening to this yeah. or tuning in.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I would say that the biggest mistake that I see people make is with the name of their show. So many people want the focus of their show to be their expertise. But what that does is it assumes that your show is going to have a large audience. And if you're like Joe Rogan and you're bringing in an existing audience because you already had a massive personal brand, then that's that that can be a great way to go, but if you brand your show, you've you've branded your show, Sam, around business growth, which is great because your customers uh, are folks that have grown their business, and so you want to position your show as a spotlight for your ideal buyer, not as a spotlight for your expertise. So. The way that works out with with our show, we started a show called B2B Growth. We didn't start the B2B podcasting show. We didn't start the Sweetfish Media podcast. We did that because we wanted our ideal buyer to want to be a guest on our show. And our ideal buyer is a B2B marketer. So they know a thing or two about... B2B Growth. And so when we reach out and ask them to be a show, be on a show called B2B Growth, they want to do it because it highlights their expertise. They can tell their peers, hey, I've been on a show called B2B Growth, as opposed to being on a show that's all about us and our expertise. They're going to look at that and go, why would I be on the B2B Podcasting show? I don't know anything about B2B Podcasting. Well, of course they don't. We do. But we want the tool, we want the show to be a tool for us to build relationships with people that we can potentially work with. So, branding your show not around your own expertise, which sounds weird. I get it. It sounds odd. Like, it's my show. Why would, why would my show not be about my expertise? But it makes so much more sense to brand your show around your ideal buyer because you ultimately want them to be a guest and you want them talking about their expertise so that it can attract other people in their space that also are trying to grow and learn in that specific expertise. And over time, you as the host become an expert in the thing that they're also an expert in, which means they look at you as a peer and not somebody that's trying to sell them something. And that's really where the magic happens. When Logan, the co-host of our show and our director of partnerships, when, when he gets listed online as a B2B marketing thought leader, that warms my soul because he's our sales guy like he's the person that is selling our service to the market and he's listed as a thought leader in all the you know all these different articles online in b2b marketing because he's he's now the host of our show and he's hosting all of these great conversations about b2b marketing so he inherits that thought leadership from all of our guests just by being the host of the show and now he gets interviewed about B2B marketing because he knows so much about it because he's interviewed so many people. So, uh, so that's, that's what I would say is, is the biggest tip for starting a podcast is awesome, make sure that you name it correctly because if you get the name wrong, it's going gonna, it's gonna to inhibit your ability to use the show to interview your ideal buyers.
0: Love it. Love it. And that, that has got so many benefits to it, like you say, because rather than just talking, naming the show around yourself or something you specialize in, you're pigeonholing it really. Um, yeah. for one people aren't only going to want to hear what you've got to say um, well, they certainly yeah. aren't going to hear what I've got to say that's why I get guests just like yourself that know <laughs> things a lot a lot better than I do about certain subjects um, and yeah you can learn from the people like you say James so that makes really good sense cool okay so before we wrap things up um, there's something else I'd, I'd like to know I know you've had some pretty big guests on your podcast over the years um, Gary V to name one yeah so have you got any tips for um, anyone tuning in on how we can, how, how we're able to connect and reach out to huge people in business um, such as Gary and, and get them Yeah. Motivated. So, so I'll have, a,
1: I'll, I'll have a, a strange answer for you on this. I think I, so we have, we've interviewed the, the two biggest names are Gary Vee and Simon Sinek. And I will tell you that those two episodes are our least downloaded episodes in our collection of, 1600 plus episodes. And I, and I say that to say this. Most people think that getting a big name like that is going to explode their show. But here's the reality. Those people are a big deal because they put out a prolific amount of content themselves. They're spending all of their time trying to figure out how to promote their own content. They don't have time and they shouldn't make time to promote the podcast that they're, that they're on. So, so many people, People think that by having those big names, it's going to catapult their show to a different level. And that's just not the case. Uh, It's a long slog to grow a podcast audience. We were very fortunate. We ranked for the keyword B2B in Apple Podcasts. So whenever you're thinking about naming your show, think about what are my ideal listeners typing into Apple Podcasts? And 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 name your show around one or two of those keywords so that you can show up whenever people are searching. But make make sure that you're cross promoting your show on other podcasts. Make sure you're talking about your show on LinkedIn. Um, that's how your show's audience is going to grow. I have found that getting big guests is is not a shortcut to 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 growing your audience. The other thing. That the other reason why I think that people shouldn't necessarily focus on getting these big name thought leaders is because those big name thought leaders can't do, like, they're not gonna do business with you. Simon Sinek's not gonna hire us to do his podcast. Gary Vee's obviously not gonna hire us to do his podcast. He's got a team of people that can do that stuff for him. And so by focusing on the people that you can actually do business with and by featuring them as guests on your show, you're actually building relationships with people that can give you dollars for the work that you can do for them. Now that doesn't mean that you should go straight for the kill and right after the interview ask them to do business with you, but you're building those relationships over time so that when and, and really establishing a friendship with that person so that whenever there is a need, they can come back to you. And because I know that Simon Sinek and Gary Vee are never going to hire us to do their podcast, it was fun. Like it was with with Simon Sinek his publisher reached out to us when he launched a new book and asked if he could be on the show. So that one came inbound to us. And I was like, sure, I'll interview Simon Sinek. That's fun. Um, and then the Gary V opportunity happened because I was doing a virtual event with somebody and they were like, Hey, we should get Gary Vee to be a part of the virtual event. And I was like, sure, if you can get him." And that guy ended up having a in with somebody on Gary's team and I got to go to Chattanooga, Tennessee and interview him in person. So that was a really cool opportunity. And it certainly, a, it makes the show credible. Got it. But I see a lot of podcast hosts that are focused on getting those influencers and they think it's going to make a much bigger difference than what it actually does. Um, and I think that's, I, I just think that's a mistake. I would much rather focus my time on trying to interview people that I can actually do business with.
0: That is an amazing tip. And I've never actually thought of it that way. Although actually it's, now you've explained it, it sounds a lot simpler to me. Um, but yeah. working with the people you actually want to do business with. And like you say, if you are getting massive celebrities in the business world and sales world, whether or marketing world, um, like you say, they're not going to have the time to start sharing your episodes even after they are recorded or sharing up the content. Whereas people that necessarily, that aren't necessarily as big as famous as well known probably will share your content. They probably will post it on yeah. LinkedIn, on social, on their blog, yeah. on their website, on all these different channels.
1: And when you think about that, Sam, who do you think they're sharing it with? They're sharing it with the people that look a lot like them. So if your buyer for, in our case, when a VP of marketing at a B2B SaaS company shares our content, who do you think they're friends with? Other VPs of marketing at B2B SaaS companies that we want to work with. So the, the targetedness of their audience is so much better than, than a lot of these big name influencers that you think, oh, because it's a big number, then that's the, that's the kind of people that I want listening to my show, but there are so many people that listen to Simon Sinek and Gary Vee that would never want to do business with us. so I think people get too caught up in the in the romance of of the, the i don't know the sexiness of the big number, and they don't actually realize that that's not going to actually translate to growth in your own business. Um, now, I like the fact that we've had a couple big names on our show because it allows us to reach out to our ideal buyer and say, hey, we've had Gary Vee, we've had Simon Sinek. And sure. if if our ideal buyer cares about that, they're like, oh, this show must be credible. I'll be I want to be a guest on that show as well. So it does help. But I think if you have one or two names like that 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 you get and, and honestly for me it happened really serendipitously. It wasn't something I focused on. It just over the course of doing episode after episode after episode after episode, um, those opportunities came to me. I don't necessarily think that can happen to everyone. Uh, I don't wanna say that I, I, it, it, it serendipitously worked out and That's I enjoy a- that it worked out that way, but I by no means was trying to make those things happen. And so I think in the same way, for folks listening to this, doing their podcast, if you're heads down focused on serving your ideal buyer and trying to create the best possible content for your ideal buyer by having a lot of conversations with your ideal buyers those kinds of opportunities to interview the big names they're going to they're going to come and go a friend of mine Dennis Brown he hosts a podcast called Growth Experts and he just interviewed Grant Cardone and i have no clue how he did it i don't know if because of covid-19 if grant cardone's got a lot of spare time now i, I don't know how that worked out but when Dennis promoted that episode on LinkedIn, I was like, "Man, that sounds interesting." I'm going to go over and I'll listen to his podcast. I ended up listening to several more episodes after I listened to the Grant Cardone episode. Um, so, so big names can be helpful when promoting to your own audience, but Dennis does a phenomenal job of promoting his show to his audience on LinkedIn. I think he's got over thirty thousand followers on the platform, and and so his show is doing well because he markets his show well, and it would be doing well regardless of whether he interviewed grant cardone or not so i just don't think it should be a focus for uh, for a lot of people especially in the early days
0: yeah that's a big eye, eye opener I, I see what you mean it can be a good hook and it can be a good tool to establish credibility when you're going to yes you want but it's not the be all and end all yeah, awesome exactly right all right james we've covered a lot of ground um, it's been been a pleasure having you on. So everyone, you've been tuning in to Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business. Um, James, I'd like to ask everyone, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why?
1: Oh man, I would say a gentleman by the name of Bob Goff, who wrote a book called Love Does, and uh, this inspired my first business, Worth Day Planner. Um, Bob Bob's book, Love Does, really changed my life and and inspired me to start proactively loving the people in my life uh, with my actions. So I've always been a words of like a words of affirmation. I've been a very encouraging person with my words, but love Love Does Bob's book really inspired me to start thinking creatively about the actions that I take toward people and, and, uh, and how I can proactively love them with my actions. And so that's, uh,
0: that's the person I would thank. Awesome, man. And James, tell us a bit more about your business. Tell us the best way people can get in touch uh, a bit more about your book and how people can connect with you.
1: Yeah. So you can find the book on audible or Amazon. I, uh, I narrate the book and then I've also got my, uh, my cell phone number in the back of the book. So if you want to text me after you read it, I love hearing from folks that have read the book. So you can find that just searching content-based networking on Audible or Amazon. Uh, the business is sweetfishmedia.com. You can go and check what we're all about. We uh, We launch podcasts all the time for different B2B companies we'd love to love to hear from you there you can reach me reach out to me or logan on our team uh logan at sweetfishmedia.com or james at sweetfishmedia.com i'm all over linkedin james carberry c-a-r-b-a-r-y would love to connect with you with you there as well um and so yeah would would love to would love to uh connect with anybody listening
0: james thank you once again sir it's been a pleasure thanks a lot sam i appreciate it are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales, and business growth tips from the experts.